WDBM East Lansing. Welcome to The Sci-Files, an Impact 89 FM series focusing on student research here at Michigan State University. We're your co-hosts Chelsea Boudou and Daniel Puentes. Every cell in your body has its own clock. To explain more about this, we're talking to Brooke DeVries about her research. Hi, Brooke. Thanks so much for joining us today. May you please tell us more about yourself and your research? Yeah, hi, I'm Brooke DeVries. I'm a second year PhD student in the neuroscience program here at MSU. And my research is on what's called circadian rhythms. It's a weird word. Circa means about, dian means day. So that means the rhythms in your body that happen about every 24 hours, so about once a day. One of the main ones a lot of people know about is sleep. You get tired about the same time every day, but other ones include like food and eating. You get hungry about the same times every day. And then ones that people don't know about as much are things like focus. You focus best at specific times of day or physical activity. You do best at different times of day. So my research looks at what happens if those clocks get disrupted or messed up from the brain to the rest of your body. I know Chelsea can relate to this, that whenever it hits like around 5 p.m. in the evening, usually get pretty hungry and we're ready for dinner. So I can totally understand that idea behind the circadian rhythm. You said that you're studying what happens when the circadian rhythm is disrupted, but it wasn't clear. Are you studying when the brain is disrupting the circadian rhythm or some sort of external factor like caffeine, for example, that can help people focus more than they would normally be able to in the morning, as an example? That's actually a really great question. So my lab focuses on external, like environmental disruptions. Specifically, this one's really interesting. So light can disrupt your circadian rhythm. Sounds super weird, but there's a really small area in your brain called the suprachiasmatic nucleus. Big fancy word. We just call it the SCN for short because the other word's way too long for us to say all the time. The SCN gets information from your eyes about when the lights come on, when the lights uh, are really bright. And so something like seeing light earlier than when the sun comes up or when you're not supposed to or way late in the day can actually throw off that rhythm because so the SCN, that brain area is we call it like the pacemaker or the master clock. So what happens is all of those cells in your body have their own clock. You can think of it like they each have their own watch. And then the SCN is the big clock that tells all of the watches what time they should be set to. Some of those signals are faster than others. So those cells, those watches adjust to the time really quickly. But some of those cells are further away. They need hormones to talk to them. So those are bigger proteins that are moving through your blood. They take a while. And so then their watches, those cells' watches, aren't at the same time as the brain anymore. And that causes a lot of health issues. So people have trouble sometimes with weight because of that. People can have trouble with sleeping. And my lab looks at people can have trouble with like reproduction stuff because of that mismatching timing from the main clock to those individual watches. So yeah, it's those external factors like light and light at the wrong times that can disrupt these circadian rhythms. Light is very important whenever it comes to my sleep schedule. For example, I sleep a lot less in the summer here in Michigan than I do in the winter, simply because the sun rises so much earlier in the summer and sets so much later as well. In your experiments, how are you measuring the responses to light? Are you using an animal model or humans? And also, are you administering the light at different times, such as nighttime? Yeah, so I'm using an animal model. We use mice, which are really cute and really fun to work with. 
we have what we call our light chambers. So you can basically think of cupboards and we have like, I think we have six of them. And within those cupboards, I can control when the lights turn on and when they turn off. So right now I'm doing one where I'm doing an experiment where these mice are going to be exposed to advancing light is what it's called. So the light turns on earlier every day. In my case, it's six hours earlier every four days, which would not be pleasant. I would not want that. I don't want my alarm to go off six hours earlier every four days. But we expose them to these lights and then we can look at, so we look at their brain and the connections it's making. We can look at those hormone messengers I mentioned. We can look at their behavioral responses to those lights. So sometimes we put them in a little pool and let them swim around for a while. Or we use wheel running is a really big one. So mice really like wheels. They love running on wheels. And we can record when they start running on those wheels, how active they are on the wheels in those cupboards. And that will tell us how well they entrain is what it's called. So that just means how quickly they adjust their activity to the light. But mice are nocturnal, so that gets really interesting. So they're active actually when the light is off instead of when the light is on. So we look at how they adjust their behavior to the time the light turns off. Yeah, so we use these cupboards and then, yeah, we get to just spend some time with some mice and their brains and kind of figure out what's going on. Does the fact that these mice are nocturnal change the way that your study has to be performed besides the fact that you're studying them when the lights are off? And with the lights being off, how do you actually track the movement of these mice in the first place? So the mice being nocturnal is sometimes a critique of circadian work. So some people use diurnal species, so awake when it's light out. We still use nocturnal species because the the SCN is still only affected by light. It can't be affected by dark because dark is just the absence of light. So a lot of the processes in the brain are still the same. And then how we monitor activity is a really interesting question. So the wheel running, we have technology that just monitors, like it picks up every time the wheel goes around. So it doesn't have to be light for that. But when we are doing experiments when they're in the dark, we use red light. So my sight is not a mouse's primary sense. They use smell or hearing much more often because they're nocturnal. That means they can see a shorter or they can't see the same spectrum of light that we can see. So if we use a light bulb that actually is red, they can't pick that up as long as the intensity is not too bright. So we can still see and do the experiments and monitor their activity, but they have no idea that a light is on because their eyes can't pick up that wavelength of light, allowing us to still do our experiments even though it's dark. Can you give us an example of how these experiments look? The way how I picture is that you just have a cage that you're putting these light sources over the mice for a certain amount of time. Are you having the mice perform any activities, for example, to actually understand how the light is affecting them? Yeah, so after they've been exposed to light shifts for a while, so changes in these lights, we have them do sometimes different behavioral experiments. So the wheel running is one, but we also do sometimes different mating tests to see how successful their mating is to see if it's changing their reproductive systems or the hormones related to that. I personally will do what's called forced swim tests. So you let the mice swim around for a while and you see how long they spend swimming versus how long they spend floating. And it's supposed to be a behavioral despair. It's one symptom of depressive-like behavior. 
So that test is supposed to kind of tell us if they're exhibiting depressive-like behaviors as a result of the changes in these lights. We also will do some hormonal experiments and we'll measure their hormones over certain periods of time to see how hormone release can be changed. Those are the primary behavioral tests. We'll also do tests with the brain tissues themselves. So we can, we have ways of recording the rhythms in certain brain areas. We can record cell activity, or we can stain the brain for different proteins and peptides to see if there are changes in those proteins and peptides based off of these light shifts and what these light shifts could be doing to the circuitry and the different things that these neurons would be releasing. A lot of what you just mentioned reminds me of how a lack of light for the wintertime can lead on to seasonal depression for some people up here in Michigan. Like you mentioned earlier, you're studying specifically how light can impact the reproductive system in a mice. But that could be a really broad term. Are you looking at male mice, female mice, and what specifically in the reproductive system are you looking at? Most of our experiments are with female mice because female mice show more of an impact of this mistimed light. So male mice show mild impact on things like sperm production or like how well the sperm move, but not enough that it actually impacts their fertility and reproduction. But female mice, we do see changes. So as anyone who menstruates might be able to tell you, menstruation tends to happen late at night or early in the morning. So there's timing to that. There's timing to the uterus. There's a circadian rhythm there. The same is true with ovulation. So when an egg goes from the ovary and moves towards the uterus to be fertilized and potentially become an embryo first. And there are hormonal signals that start in the brain and go all the way down to the uterus that tell the uterus it's time to ovulate. And these are based on circadian rhythms as well. An example I like to use when talking about it, you need all of these cells that resetting. So you need all of these cells that are communicating what hormones to release when to have the same time on their watches to be able to tell the right areas when to release their hormones. If they all have different times, they'll be sending signals kind of all at different times. And an example I like to use is if you imagine your friend is across the room and you're standing with a group of people and you're all kind of saying your friend's name, but it's all kind of Jeff, 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 all at different times, your friend might not turn around. But if your group of people all at the same time yell your friend's name, your friend is going to hear them, that name, and turn around. The same sort of thing happens with these hormones. So with mistimed light, what can happen is these neurons that are supposed to send signals to release hormones that cause ovulation, the neurons are all in different times. So they're sending their signals all kind of Jeff, 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 haphazardly different times. When without this circadian disruption, normally they would all yell at the same time in a way that releases the right hormones and causes ovulation. So that's kind of the biggest impact we see on fertility in female mice is this mistiming of hormone release, which impacts ovulation. It impacts the chances of the mice becoming pregnant. It lengthens their estrus cycles, which is just the mouse version of a menstrual cycle, which all of these things impair their fertility. Because if the timing's not right and it's not happening when the male mouse is in the cage with the female mouse, the female mouse isn't going to get pregnant. There are also studies that have shown that when exposed to these lights, when pregnant, the female mice sometimes reabsorb their pups, so they lose that pregnancy, or they can go into labor too early and the pups are born too early. 
So there are a lot of studies with that. So we look at everything from the hormone release all the way up to we'll count the pups. We'll see how many pups that the, the mom mouse has, as well as, you know, were the pups born too early, too late at the right time, things like that. So those are kind of the metrics of reproduction we look at, again, primarily in the female mice. Well, it's really cool that you're able to monitor all of those different factors just because you change the light and the circadian rhythm of these mice. Now, I personally don't know much about mice. Do mice have a similar estrus cycle to humans, or do you need to accommodate your data to basically like change the amount of days to compare the mice to the humans? Also, how do you specifically measure the amount of hormones that are in these mice? So mouse estrus cycles compared to like human menstrual cycles, estrus cycles are four to five days compared to menstrual cycles, which are 26 to 28 days. So in mice, it's a lot shorter and you can monitor changes throughout the cycle much more effectively and efficiently. Now, there's not menstruation. So thankfully, every four days, the mice aren't uh, shedding a uterine lining in their cage. That would get really messy really quickly but they are cycling through their hormones in a similar way. So the hormonal cascade, so the the series that the hormones are released in is the same in mice as it is in humans, even if the length of that timing is different. It just means we have to time our experiments really well with these mice because a, a stage a human who menstruates is in for just a couple of days, a mouse will be in for a few hours. So it's adjustment of timing. And then for those hormones, that's a great question. So hormones move through the the blood, right, to get to the different tissues they need to communicate with. So in mice, what we can do is we can do just a quick blood draw. It doesn't hurt the mouse whatsoever. And we just take some of their blood and then we can measure the hormone levels present in their blood at that time. There are a couple different experiments you can run to kind of get those levels. But yeah, it's just a quick blood draw, just like if you were to go to the doctor and you have to get your hormones looked at. It's just some blood work. Glad to hear that the mice aren't really feeling any pain whenever you have to extract blood from their bodies. One thing I'm curious about is how does the variation in the light change the circadian rhythm of these mice? For example, if they're exposed to a lot of light comparatively to very little light, has that been investigated yet? So light intensity is one of the parameters of the the light that we look at. We haven't done as much into the intensity side of things, although I do know our postdoc is hoping to do that as well. But duration of light is something we look at and then the timing of light. Because an interesting thing about circadian rhythms, in order to be qualified as a circadian rhythm, it has to be a process in the body that occurs every 24 hours without external factors. So if I were to put a mouse in a completely dark chamber that stays dark all the time, they're going to wake up about 24 hours apart each day. Theirs is a little bit shorter, so they get up a little earlier every day, but it's about 24 hours. What light does is it shifts that clock. It kind of resets it to different timing. So it resets kind of this clock that can run on its own. So if they're exposed to light for a very long time, it kind of keeps resetting this clock. And we see that actually in the world around us, especially in East Lansing, you know, here on MSU's campus, you walk outside at night, it's not that dark. You're still exposed to light pretty consistently. And we see that a lot too with the lengthening in light in uh, shift work. So anyone who works basically outside the normal nine to five, 
especially people who work nights, who work on call for 24 hours, they're exposed to long lengths of light. And that's where we do see a lot of these issues with this mix match, right, between the main clock in the brain, the SCN, and these other tissues. And then, as you were talking about earlier, too, in Michigan, in the winter, we hardly get any light. And even the light we do get is dim and gross and gray, which often leads to seasonal affective disorder, so seasonal depression, basically. So that short duration also affects things. And the brain circuitry of that is something we're investigating still and something I'm actually really, really interested in looking at is why that happens in the brain with this exposure to just smaller amounts of light. And so we do see it both ways. So ideally, the healthy way to go is just the right, correct amount of light, which with artificial lighting is very difficult to do. Speaking of artificial light, is there a difference with how artificial light versus sunlight would be affecting the circadian rhythm of mice or humans? If the artificial light is bright enough, not really. Your brain interprets that light as the same. So you might have heard people say things like, don't look at your phone before you go to sleep. Uh, that's very accurate, actually. That can mess up with your circadian rhythm, especially that uh, blue light. So light that's from that further end of the light spectrum with those blue tones to it, it's similar to the light coming from the sun and your brain interprets that as sunlight. Your brain doesn't really know the difference between artificial light and sunlight. So these artificial lights are messing up our circadian rhythms from light pollution, from screen time, from LED lights or fluorescent lights in hospitals or wherever else you might be working at night. Your brain interprets that as sunlight and adjusts your circadian rhythm accordingly. It makes sense that you would be studying the mice in artificial light since that's typically what they're exposed to in the laboratory setting. One thing that I'm thinking about throughout this interview is how does the circadian rhythm of these mice get impacted if they're blind? I know that light isn't the only way that their circadian rhythm is regulated, but has your laboratory looked at whether or not this lack of light can impact the circadian rhythm for these mice that are blind? So yeah, their circadian rhythm actually can still be messed up even if they couldn't see light. That can be done through things like food administration. Like I mentioned before, getting hungry is circadian. So if they are exposed to food at specific times of day, they'll entrain to that. They'll adjust to that food. Um, there are other things they can get used to. Socialization is a big one. We kind of entrain to socialization. There's actually a thing called social jet lag. And if you're a person who gets up early to go to class throughout the week, and then you sleep in on the weekends so you can stay up late and hang out with your friends, you experience social jet lag. Mice have a similar thing. So if I go in every day at the same time and I'm, you know, handling them, I'm picking them up, I'm, you know, whether that's for taking blood or just getting them used to me, if I do it at the same time every day, their circadian rhythm adjusts to that too. So basically anything that can tell you what time of day it is, your brain will adjust to. Light is just one of the strongest ones, but there are lots of other things too. And so our mice will adjust to food time if there's a specific food time. So in our experiment, we are very, very careful to make sure that they are, that food is available to them and water is available to them 24 seven so that that doesn't impact any of our results. We also try and go in at random times to handle them or pet them if we can, or we time our experiments so that if they're in training to us, they're also in training to the light. And so we have to try and accommodate for all of these other things that could be impacting their circadian rhythms. 
Wow, that's really interesting. I didn't even think about how food could affect my circadian rhythm. Well, thank you so much for talking to us about your research. Maybe in the future we can talk more about other factors that affect the circadian rhythm. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was really great to talk to you guys and get to talk about my research because I love it. So I'm excited to tell people about it. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. To hear more about us and learn more about our episodes, check out scifiles.org. If you're a current MSU student that would like to be interviewed, please reach out to us at scifiles at impact89fm.org. We'll catch you next week on the Sci-Files, and remember, the truth is in the science.